Amen. Okay. So you guys ready? All right. There's a little the time we have left. I'm just going to jump right into this. Okay. So. So Chris mentioned something you may not be aware of. And that is in two days we're going to vote for the next president of the United States. And so um, I'm going to address that today. Last week we addressed the racial divide in our country. And if you didn't hear that message, we invited Archie Robinson, a black preacher from East County, to come up here and speak. I also had him uh, meet with the regional pastors this last week. And we invited, there were five uh, Poway sheriff deputies that came. We had about 15 pastors. We had Archie from East County. And uh, we had a wonderful conversation. It was, a, it was an initial conversation where the police officers came in. They didn't know what to expect. And they're just all kind of in their uniforms. They're just sitting around the table, you know. And um, it was the kind of meeting where we first, when we first had our first meeting with the principals of the high schools. And they weren't quite sure why the church was in the principal's office. And uh, after a few meetings... We ended up building a relationship, and now three years later, all the principals in this region and the church are friends, and we're doing things together to uh, help save our kids. So it's powerful. This is the same kind of initial meeting. And after about a half hour, it was really wonderful because Archie just said, all right, look, we all going to get real in here. We're going to get real. I'm black. You're white. Let's talk about it. And it was just wonderful. And all of a sudden, the, the officer started just opening up and becoming transparent about what it's like to be an officer. And then one of the white officers said to Archie after about an hour, he said, you know, some of the things you have shared in here today have really convicted me and you're making me think. That's pay dirt. That was a moment of leverage right there. So we're building bridges now with the sheriff's department, with the black, the white community. There was an Asian pastor there and said, hey, you know what? Asians get persecuted too. A large Asian community up here. That's not what I'm preaching on today, but I'm just letting you know that we are tackling some big issues as the church as we should. Today, regarding the political situation, there are two things I have observed every time a new political season rolls around. And how churches feel about their pastors uh, speaking into it. There's two things I've observed. Number one, if a pastor speaks about political things, he's in trouble. Number two, if a pastor does not speak about political things, he's in trouble. Because the latter group feels that if he does not speak about political things, that he's a coward and he is not fulfilling his duty as a spokesperson to the body of Christ about the condition of our nation and who is going to save us and just lay it on the line. The other people who feel that you should not talk about it says that uh, if a pastor speaks about political things, that he is straying outside of his role and even violating the laws of the 51C3 nonprofit status. Regarding these claims, I wholeheartedly, absolutely disagree 100%. And there's a few reasons for it, and I'm going to hit these very quickly. It is not unconstitutional for a pastor to speak about politics or to endorse a candidate from the pulpit. The separation of church and state has purposely been misinterpreted over the years to mean something completely opposite of what Thomas Jefferson meant it to be. It was never that the church cannot speak into the condition of the state. The church always has from the very beginning. 
God's voice is to speak into every sector of society. The separation of church and state originally was so that the, the state could not control the church and to shut its mouth, which is what is beginning to happen in our nation. Secondly, I have no problem speaking on political things because I believe it is the role of spiritual leaders to help God's people discern between the holy and the unholy. And if we are not going to do that regarding the current issues of the day, we have become completely irrelevant. Thirdly, the political issues of the day are all biblical issues before they're ever political. When someone tries to move the pendulum away from God on any given issue, it becomes political at that point because it's about power. Who's in power? Because if we get the right person in power, then they can facilitate our agenda. So, as I said, every political issue is biblical first. Example, the sanctity of life. That's a biblical issue. The sanctity of marriage and sexual origin, biblical issue. The environment, stewardship of the earth, biblical issue. The economy, Jesus taught more about money than heaven and hell itself, biblical issue. Education, God commands us to teach our children about life from his perspective, honoring the creator and raising them in the fear of the Lord, biblical issue. I could go on and on, but I think you get the point that teaching Relevant messages regarding the current issues of the day is not being political, is being biblical. But having said all that, you can all take a deep breath because that's not where I'm going today. I'm not going to teach on these things, nor am I going to speak about or endorse a candidate for two reasons. Number one, and I want to say this to those of you that would be disappointed that I'm not speaking into this and I'd be put into the coward category. For those of you who have been part of our church, uh, you know from history that I am not afraid to speak what I believe from a biblical perspective regarding candidates, because I've done it right here from this pulpit. Some of you. So, but here's the reason I'm not doing it today. One, both candidates are completely morally bankrupt. So I cannot take the moral high ground with either one of them. And it's really not about the candidates either. You wonder, how can anybody support either one of the candidates? Look, I'm not defending either one of them because they can't be, they're indefensible. It's never about the candidate. It's about the party that they represent because then they get to be in the seat of power and push forward our agenda. So I don't even get into debates over which candidate is qualified, well, in this situation. It's about power. But also, I'm not addressing it today because our nation is in so much trouble that no one person or party is going to save us. And this brings us to my point today. There is something else I've observed during the election cycle, a matter that is much deeper and much further reaching than whether a pastor should preach or not preach on political issues. And that is this. Every election cycle, something is revealed to us. You know what it is? Us. Every election cycle, and I'm putting myself in this category because there's nobody in this church more passionate about our nation, the condition of our nation, and where our nation's headed than me. 
I'm not talking about passion being a problem. I'm talking about when we get so freaked out that we lose ourselves. We lose our Christianity, if I could say that, not representing Christ very well. We lose the way that we relate to one another. We are going out of our minds with who's going to end up in the White House. What that proves to us every four years is who we, as followers of Jesus, are really putting our trust in. You can either say amen or oh me. Either one right now will fit. Because you might be caught right now. There's nothing wrong with passion. In fact, I am 100% passionate. I am 100% all in and doing my part to facilitate what I believe is the will of God. But the bottom line is, if that reaches a level of intensity to where we actually think we're doomed, who are we really putting our faith in? So today my goal is to help put our trust back where it belongs. Anybody remember this phrase? It's a phrase you don't hear much anymore. It's from a long time ago. In God, it's even, it's even right here. I looked the other day just to check to see if they've taken it off yet, okay? And God, we trust. And isn't it funny that it's on the God we trust more? Isn't that interesting? You see, that's why Jesus said this is the litmus test. Where your money is, where your heart is. You don't give at church, your heart's not in it. Your heart's not in the kingdom of God. You don't give to, you just look where your money goes and you see where your heart is. Jesus said that. So I think it's just really ironic that we put in God we trust on the actual God that we do trust more than any other God, which is money. And as you can see, the political, the political machine is uh, won or lost by money. Who has the most money gets the most airtime. So today, rather than endorsing either one of the candidates that are up for the next presidency of the United States, I want to endorse a candidate, and his name is God. And I'm going to stress from the Scriptures today how God is in control control and rules over all the nations. We're going to do a good chunk of Scripture today, but it is church, so we're allowed to do that. But I want you to leave today with a deep trust and a peace in your heart that no matter what happens on Tuesday, you have peace in your heart. Because that's the mark of a child of God. I do want to say this as a caveat before we jump into the scriptures to prove that God is in control no matter who wins on Tuesday. This is what I want to say. It does not mean don't vote. Because God always does what he's going to do through people. He could have saved Israel from Egypt without Moses' help. God could have just showed up and did it, but he did it through a man. God could have fed Israel when during the famine by himself. He proved it in the desert when he caused quail to fall out of the sky to feed his people. But instead, he rose, raised up Joseph as the prime minister of Egypt to feed God's people. He could have caused Nineveh, a city that was incredibly, overwhelmingly wicked, and God was going to judge them and destroy them. He could have just appeared and caused them all to repent. Instead, he chose Jonah and a fish. God's working through. The only thing God could not do through a person was save us from our sins because we're all sinners. So he had to come down himself and do that job as the man Jesus Christ. So God does his will through people. And in a constitutional republic, which we are, God works through 
your prayers and your vote. So when you opt out of praying or voting, you have just actually abdicated your responsibility as a believer on the planet. God wants to work his will through his people. Can I hear an amen? So, having said that, let's go on to our candidate, capital C. Psalm 75 says this. We're going to jump into some... uh, we only have about 20 minutes. Give me 20 minutes of your attention, and we're going to plow through some Scripture, and you're going to see the sovereignty of God. Psalm 75, we praise you. We praise you for your name is near. People tell of your wonderful deeds. Is it behind me? You say, look, listen to this. You say, God's quoting here, I choose the appointed time. It is I who judge the, 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 with equity. When the earth and all its people quake, which is happening right now, it is I who holds its pillars firm. To the arrogant, I say, boast no more. And to the wicked, do not lift up your horns. Do not lift up your horns against heaven. Do not speak defiantly. No one. Everybody say no one. Say it again. Okay, I gotta, if, you, if I get you to say it loud enough, you might believe it. No one from the east or from the west or from the desert or from the Republican or from the Democrat or from the Independent themselves can exalt themselves. It is God who judges. He brings one down. He exalts another. And the hand of the Lord is a cup full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours it out, and all the wicked of the earth drink it down to its very dregs. As for me, I would ask for me. Everybody say, as for me. Yeah, that's right. As for me, I will declare this forever. I will sing praise to the God of Jacob who says, I will cut off the horns of the wicked, but the horns of the righteous will be lifted up. You say, well, when will God do this? Same thing Habakkuk said. He cried out to God. He's a prophet. He said, the government's wicked. The church is corrupt. The, market, the business sector is polluted. Oh, God, when are you going to rise up? And God responds and says, oh, I'm going to do it in my timing. Just chill out. It'll all be okay. And it's only three chapters long, the book of Habakkuk. And once the prophet, the man of God, got his perception shifted off of the government, off of the business marketplace, off of the condition of the church, and got his eyes back on God, he says, I will rejoice. That was the, that was the end result of him getting his eyes back on God. His joy returned because his trust returned. He realized God is in control. Now, Daniel, when he was a teenager, uh, God's people, Israel, because they turned their backs against him, God allowed, because he's sovereign, God raised up the nation Babylon, and he allowed them to take over Jerusalem, his people, and take them into captivity. One of the guys who was taken into captivity was a teenager. Daniel. Daniel, it says he, uh, he, he had an excellent spirit. And Daniel, this young teenager with an excellent spirit, so rose above his contemporaries that he ended up being an advisor to the king of Babylon. Maybe God is in control. David, this teenager, ended up serving Four kings over a 60-year period. 
Who did I say? David did some stuff too. David was pretty bad to the bone. Either one of those will preach. But we'll stick with Daniel today. Daniel served, he saw four kings come and go. He served every one of them over a 60-year period. He saw the sovereignty of God up close and personal. He saw kings rise. He saw kings fall. He saw kings rise. He saw kings fall. And he saw the way God did it sometimes. It was like, whoa. To the point where one time, and we'll see this in a second, where he warned one of the kings, king, dude, listen to me. Look, I saw what happened to your dad. I saw what happened to your grandpa. You don't want to do this. You don't want to do this. Daniel says in verse 2, verse 20 and 21 of the book of Daniel, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Jeremiah, Jeremiah prophesying about Nebuchadnezzar, who was the first king that Daniel served, Jeremiah, another prophet, prophesies about this king. Listen to what he says. God speaking. I have made the earth, the man, and the beast that are on the ground. By my great power and by my outstretched arm, and I've given it to whom I seemed proper, who seemed proper to me. And now I've given all of these, I have given all of these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. Oh, wow. My servant. The king thought he had conquered God's people. And that he, right, God says, my servant. My servant and the beasts of the field I've also given to him to serve him. So God controlled man and beast. So all the nations shall serve him and his son and his son's son until the time of his land has come. In other words, until I decide enough is enough. Then many nations and great kings shall, make, uh, shall serve him. And it shall be that the nation and the kingdom which does not serve Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. This is God talking. And which will not put its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon. That nation I will punish, says the Lord, with the sword, the famine, and the pestilence until I have consumed them. By his hand. So we're starting to see a glimpse of the sovereignty of God as it pertains to nations like ours. So David, who is now the servant at this time of, I just love David. Man, gosh, I wish I could preach on David today. David was a teenager too, man. I'm telling you what, you didn't want to mess with David or Daniel. I'd rather than mess with Daniel, actually, to be honest with you. Because Daniel just had wisdom. Man, David had, David just cut your head off and then writes a song of praise. Yeah. Woo! David's got his guitar in one hand and his sling in the other hand. You know, I'm going to praise God while I, yeah, I do too, man. Both teenagers. I will preach on the Mother Mary if I want. I do not take my cues from the front row. Unless I hear God's voice in your voice, 
So Daniel, Daniel goes to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. The king of Babylon is walking on his palace. Let's say he's the president. Walking throughout the White House, on the front White House lawn. And this is what Nebuchadnezzar says. Look at my kingdom that I have built with my might and my power for my glory. Kingdom, power, glory. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. The reason Jesus put that at the end of his prayer for us is so that we would never get the big head. When God has prospered you, raised you up, given you a ministry, given you wealth, given you power, given you influence, don't ever say, look at me. That's why at the end of the prayer, God, Jesus says, cap your prayers with this. For thine, everybody say it, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't doing that. But God is so generous that he says to Daniel, go tell Neb, cut it out. So Daniel goes to the king and says, king, stop saying that. It's not cool. Because if you don't give God the credit for raising you up, he's going to pull you down. And the king said Man, thanks for the warning. A year later, he's walking on the White House lawn of the White House, the the front lawn of the White House, and he says, Look at my kingdom from my power and my glory. Immediately, he went insane. For seven years, he lived out in the wilderness with a beast, and it says that his his fingernails grew out like claws and his hair came down. And he lived with the beast of the field for seven years. He went insane. After seven years... His understanding came back. He's like, what? Was that? Where? What? And he comes back into town. Can you imagine? And he comes back into the palace and he goes, I don't know what in the world. And Daniel said, man, I told you. If you don't humble yourself, this is for all of us. If you do not humble yourself, you will be humbled by the Lord. Because God has a will to accomplish, and if you and I get in the way, he will fix us. So, Mark and I have talked about this extensively over the years. We have learned to fix ourselves before we get fixed. Because I'm telling you, it's, oh man, you talk about the easy road and the hard road, humbling yourself, all it means is swallow your pride. You know, you're right, I'm wrong, bless you, you're probably right. That, that humble road... It's so much better than the pride road, and you get tire tracks on your back. Like, oh, man, I never want to experience that again. Well, this is what Nebuchadnezzar said in Daniel chapter 4, after he comes back after seven years. And at the end of the time, the seven years, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. I bet he did. And my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him whom lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion. He's singing a different song, isn't he? His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. I'm going to say that again to us right now two days before this election. He does according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And don't think this is, don't think this is ancient, like archaic stuff, because He's still God. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, 
And for the glory of my kingdom, my honor, splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles restored to me. I was restored, restored. I was restored to my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, oh God, don't don't go back. Praise and extol and honor the King of Heaven. <laughs> All of whose works are truth and His ways justice, and those who walk in pride, He is able to put down. And do you know what else he did? After that, he said, and anybody who doesn't praise him, I'm going to turn your house into a house of cow dung. I like that part. Okay, now, I don't have much time, but boy, this, if you don't know what I'm about to teach you right now, this is going to rock your world. The fourth king that Daniel, who's not a teenager anymore, he's now, you know, an old man. He's serving the fourth king that's come along. Can you just see the next king that come along, comes along, just coming in his kingdom? You see David going, or Daniel, wow. Maybe I was supposed to teach on David today. Can you imagine Daniel being in the palace with the fourth king coming along and seeing him coming with all this pomp and circumstance going, oh, here we go again. The fourth king, his name was Cyrus, or Cyrus, however you want to pronounce it. This is going to rock you. 100 years before Cyrus was even born, God prophesied through Isaiah that there's going to be a king 100 years from now. His name is Cyrus, and I'm going to, I'm going to use him to restore my people. Let's read it. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 1. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, his anointed, Cyrus. He's anointing a non-Christian, a non-believer, a pagan king. God anoints him. That means he puts his spirit upon him. Are you tracking with me? Is this, is this relevant to any, anybody here in the room, to our nation? Thus says the Lord who is anointed to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held to subdue nations before him and loose the the armor of kings to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know I, the Lord, who call you by your name. Talking about Cyrus and the God of Israel. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, I have even called you by your name. I have named you, though you have not known me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no God besides me. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Now, Josephus. The Jewish historian, not a believer, a Jewish historian said that when Cyrus came into his kingdom and one of the scribes brought the prophecy of Isaiah to him and said, I need you to read something. And Cyrus, can you imagine this? Reads his name in the Bible. That was prophesied 100 years ago. Let's see what Cyrus says when it's brought to him. Ezra chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. This is 100 years in the future. Cyrus is now king. 
Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, not Jerusalem, not a believer, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all the kingdom. Here's a pagan king about to say this. And also put in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me. And he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is among you, who is among you of all his people. May his God be with him and let him go to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the free will offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. Does God rule the nations? You see, if we don't believe that God is in charge and God is in control, we will freak out. Even if our nation continues to go down down this path of especially persecution against Christians, which we're already in about stage two of five stages of persecution to a people group. If we continue to go down that path, God is still in control. And we are still Christians. And we still behave like children of God in the earth. Isaiah prophesied darkness, gross darkness in the last days is going to cover the earth. But the glory and the light of God is going to shine upon you. So maybe I could have titled the sermon today, Don't Freak Out. God is in control. Now, for anybody in here today that might say, yeah, but that was all Old Testament stuff. We're in the New Testament now. I'm glad you brought that up. I'm going to close with two scriptures. Acts chapter 12, verse 21 through 24. Here's another king. 4,000 years later, to see if God's still around. So on a set day, Herod, the king, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Then immediately the angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and died. And Hollywood thinks they have something on God, you know? I mean, how descriptive. But here's the most important phrase of it. But the word of God grew and multiplied. So I have a question for you today. Who's in charge? And who do you truly trust? Now that's a question really for you to ask yourself as a follower of Jesus. Who are you really trusting today? Not only for the leader and the direction and the condition and the future of our country, which I am passionately engaged in for our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. But who are you trusting for your personal life? Are you trusting yourself for your salvation? Are you freaking out about your finances? Are you fretting about your future? Your life is a vapor. In the, in the, in the timeline of eternity, your life is but a vapor. Our whole life boils down to trusting God, and we all have these tests all along the way that, that show us where our 
faith really is, how big, how small, and where it's really at. That is why when we come in here and worship, and I'm going to ask Josh and the band to come up here real quick, if you would, because there's one song I want us to sing, and hopefully will be our anthem as we leave this place today, um, Hope's Anthem. We sing Hope's Anthem. And as we're singing this, I was thinking, I wonder how many of us in here two days before the election of the next president of the United States, I wonder how, much of, how many of us are really singing this with authenticity, with integrity, with genuine faith that God really is the hope of man. Look at this next scripture, the last scripture. This scripture is literally right in the middle of the Bible. And it's uh, Mary Jane Messer's favorite scripture. It is better, read it out loud with me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Pray, vote, and trust. Pray, vote, and trust. Pray, vote, and then trust. So today, who are you trusting? Not just for our nation. Let's begin there today because of the because of the time and the season we're in. But boil us down all the way down to your personal life. Really what it all comes down to is trust. For singles, am I trusting that God will bring the right man and woman? Or am I going to run out ahead of him and get into a relationship with the wrong person? With your finances, if you don't tithe, you don't trust. That God will really provide all your needs. If you'll take care of His kingdom, He'll take care of your life. It's a trust issue. Salvation. Are you trusting that you're going to meet God one day? When I ask people, if you died tonight, would you go to heaven? I only get two answers. Either, well, nobody knows that. And I say, and I say to you today, you can know. The Bible very clearly says, Jesus says, if you come to me, I will never reject you. I will completely cleanse you of all your sins that fast because I died for you on the cross. That was what that was about. I died for your sins. And I will breathe my Holy Spirit into you the moment you open your heart to me. And that can happen for you right now. And I will breathe my Spirit into you and you will become my daughter. You'll become my son for all of eternity. Because salvation is a free gift. You cannot earn it. The penalty of sin is eternal separation from God. You can't do good to balance out bad. That's not the way it works. That's why Jesus died. If you can get to heaven on your own good works, then what was Jesus doing on the cross for you? The other answer I get is, oh yeah, I'm going to heaven. I say, really? Why? Well, because I've been a good person. I mean, I've tried to treat others, you know, right. That's the difference between Christianity and every other religion on the planet. Every religion on the planet is a performance-based religion. I am working my way to heaven. Christianity says you have no hope. All of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. But God loves you so much that He came down from heaven as a man, Jesus Christ, and He died on the cross for you paid your sin and rose from the dead and is inviting you to come to him today. Will you close your eyes just for a moment? Bow your head. If you're in this place today and you have never 
given your life to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you feel him drawing you today you feel that in your heart that's God drawing you he's calling you home just as you are he wants to forgive you completely for every sin you've ever committed and make you his son or daughter if that's you and you are ready to invite Jesus into your life as your Savior will you raise your hand right where you are I need to turn my life over to Jesus today for the forgiveness of my sins. Raise your hand high if that's you. I'm going to wait just for another moment. That's me. I need to turn my life. I don't know if I died tonight if I would go to heaven. And I need to get that right. If that's you, will you raise your hand? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm going to pray for you right here. I'm going to lead you into prayer. But you need to open the door of your heart to Jesus. You've got to invite him in. He won't force his way. Anybody here, raise your hands. I, I want to ask Jesus into my life. I see your hand. Praise God. I'm glad I waited. Anybody else, raise your hand and say, that's me. I need to invite him in. I need to turn my life over. Okay, we pray this prayer out loud just to everybody for our brother. He raised his hand and say, dear Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I cannot get into heaven by my good works but only by yours so I receive you right now as my Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of my sins and from this day forward I will follow you without shame and without fear all the days of my life in Jesus mighty name and everybody say amen